just want a browser, Roy. That there, that's the browser. No, Roy, that's the button for the internet. <laughs> the button for the internet. Jesus Christ. Hello and welcome to the Omcast. My name is Dom. It's one half of the Omcast. I'm joined by Tom. Say hello, Tom. Hello. Hello. So in this episode, we're going to probably do something Lord of the Rings. You have plenty but... of time to prepare. You've got no one yeah. to blame but yourself. Um, in this episode, we're continuing the Lord of the Rings watch through by talking about the Two Towers, directed by Peter Jackson and starring Andy Serkis, Bernard Lee, and Miranda Rosso. I thought I'd yep. bring in some of the new actors who've joined the cast this time around. So we're back for more Lord of the Rings. Yeah, Woo! another one. Who saw that coming? Exactly. I, no, I thought they were done. I thought it was clearly they had a very clear beginning, middle, and end at the end of the, in the last one. Mm. There was no story left to tell. I can't believe they came back for another one. Yeah, I know. I can't believe they landed it as well. Like I know, right? I know. Yeah. It's like so much, so much of the time, sequels just don't live up to the original. But somehow they managed it with this one. Yeah. Um, you know, one day. Well, one day. I wonder if this, this one's going to have a sequel. Nah, it's done now, isn't it? Surely they've got they got to the point. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we managed to go again. They're putting these out at the UK cinemas, and again they're showing the um, extended versions. So we got to go and see um, the Two Towers extended cut at cinema this week. Um, and yeah, I mean Two Towers. Two Towers is a weird one to talk about um, because, as we talked about, it, it is the middle chapter of a trilogy, and it's one of those rare instances where it was always going to be that. If you see what I mean? Yeah. Um, so there are a handful of the films you could talk about. I think I guess Empire is another one. Um, Empire Strikes Back, where they knew they were making a, a third, but the difference with Empire is that they never knew they were going to be making it, making Empire. If you know what I mean? So it had to start from scratch. Um, whereas with this, it doesn't really have a clear beginning or a clear ending. It's this middle, this weird middle child. Um, yeah. That's yeah. That's one of the things that because they are were sort of designed, built, and made in sequence. Mm. It does sort of have that sort of sort of awkwardness about it, where you're like, I don't know. It's it's like the Marvel effect. Like there there is an expectation that you should be caught up and everything else. There's no way that you can go into this without like a clear very very clear understanding of what you're supposed to be doing yeah and what true. you're supposed yeah. to be watching and what you have sh- or should have been watching before yeah it's pretty unforgiving in terms of just like if you don't know what's good you don't know the full backstory then tough basically you have to just keep yeah. going um and it does like it starts like you know midway through like particularly like with the aragorn story and the and um Gimli and Legolas, they are literally mid-chase from the end. And you yeah. wouldn't, if you hadn't seen the, the previous one, you wouldn't know what they were chasing, why they were chasing them, mm-hmm. what, what the stakes are. You had no idea what was going on. So it is very much a sequel in that regard. But I do love that the, the opening of this is kind of like a, a previously on Lord of the Rings with fucking Gandalf fighting, <laughs> the, fighting the Balrog. Um, yeah. Just like, that is, that is <clears> an <throat> epic opening to your movie, that. And I love that they were able to do that. They fucking nailed it. Like, there isn't um this isn't one of those ones where you can sort of say oh i don't really like this one or i do really like this one because there are so many 
like similarities between all of the the rings is that they are sort of one sprawling story and one of the things that my girlfriend actually pointed out to me uh early on in the film was she just basically said i know this is going to sound might sound a bit stupid but and what do you think she said this would have worked really well as a tv show as a tv show oh fuck's sake no no, we can't. She said it would have been that. amazing as a TV show because it's. She said the extended ones, especially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get, I get what you mean, and like, and there are like clear, like you can see where you could make an amazing hour long episode out of something. And again, like I feel like it's interesting revisiting Lord of the Rings now in a post Game of Thrones world. Yeah, um, because you know that things. So, like again, I, I, you think of Helm's Deep, and you think of there was that episode. I can't remember what season it was in, where the walls being attacked by the wildlings. Oh, hard home. Spent, no, 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 it wasn't, no. It wasn't even hard home. It was when they, when the wildlings attacked, and they had they um, had giants riding mammoths down there, and all that sort of stuff. Do you remember? Oh, okay. And they like they attacked the wall, and it was all about the the Night's Watch defending the wall from the wildlings, and then they like did a pincer movement from the other side, and. John's girlfriend came from the other side. Do you remember? Uh, yeah, probably. Like, um, yes, and that. Anyway, so yeah, that and that—that that was one where, <coughs> because again, Game of Thrones is comparable again because it has so many different storylines going on, cutting in between. But for that episode, they just stayed with Jon Snow and and the Night's Watch for the whole episode, and you could have done something similar like that with Helm's Deep. You could have just yeah. that would have been like season finale type thing where you just go right. We've, tied up everything with Frodo and Sam. Let's spend an hour just dealing with Helm's Deep. Um, yeah. And yeah, it, it could be done like that. But at the same time, it's so cinematic and it's so epic in its scope that I feel like it needs to be seen in the cinema and it needs to be... Yeah, but you say that when, you know, we are making a comparison here between Game of Thrones, which is arguably the most cinematic television show that's ever yeah, been true. made. And whilst it didn't stick the landing, it had some of the... Like Battle of the Bastards, for example, is yeah. is the 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 episode that I'm going to sort of refer to because the scale of that yeah. was out of this world. Absolutely, yeah. And then we are sort of looking at how television. When you're looking at stuff like, like you say about like Watchmen and stuff like this, these are the grandest of sort of sort of stages now <laughs> are are at home because you are getting sort of 55, 60 inch televisions at home and and, and more. Mm. Yeah, well, I guess I mean it's, it's almost an unfair comparison because it is there's a ten year there's an almost twenty year difference um, between the two things. Um, so TV yeah. has moved on. Like in two thousand and one, you could not have done this on TV. Generally. No, absolutely. So, not. Um, and what they achieved and some of the, and some of the stuff they the pioneering things they did, particularly on on this one, from not only the battle sequences but also the main thing that is the big addition to it in this film is Gollum. Yeah, um, which is something we really need to talk about so Gollum is an incredible achievement in terms of not only the digital achievement because I mean and we talked about this last week this one does suffer and the later ones do suffer a little bit from date being a bit dated in terms of the CGI um, and you feel yeah. that a little bit with Gollum and especially with Treebeard but I think in, particularly in the case of Gollum it's completely sold and still stands up and that is down to the performance of Andy Serkis yeah and the way the animators were able to animate his performance. Because at that, at that point, it wasn't like it is now where motion capture is like they put a thousand dots all over your face and they can map it into a computer. 
it was literally just animators watching this guy's performance and then put, animating a, like a cartoon face, if you like, yeah. on a computer screen to match exactly the movements that he made. Like if he, make, if he moves his eyebrows slightly, Gollum has to move his eyebrows slightly and just matching it beat for beat like that and, like, and moving little sliders around to get it exactly right. So the amount of skill involved from everybody in achieving what they did and you never question it you're completely bought into it and they have i I still it amazes me that they one of the best one of my favorite scenes of this film is that sort of schizophrenia scene of of um yeah and it's just that's how much confidence they have in their technology and in andy's performance that they're able to go right for the next two minutes we're going to have a conversation between two cgi characters which are the same character and we, you're going to be completely bought into it, and we're not going to have to have any real actors on screen at any point. And they they're that confident in what they've got that they're going to just let that play out. And I'm a, I love that they did that. Um, and that's not something that they put in in the extended edition. That was in the theatrical cut. That was for everyone to see. And it's an amazing yeah. little bit, and and amazingly acted as well by Andy Serkis. Oh, he's fucking brilliant. Like he's absolutely outstanding. And it's one of those things that Andy Serkis is. I don't really know how to describe it because it is one of those things and you go, oh, yeah, I mean, it's Andy Turkey. Like People are always talking about Andy Turkey's and they're talking about this and they're talking about that and they're talking about this. And you're like, yeah, it's fucking justified. Like that guy has done more for motion capture in, oh, fuck knows, however many years. Yeah. And you just go, then pretty much anybody else. Like, and you're just, this guy is absolutely, absolutely defined what it takes to be a motion capture artist and actor yeah and you think about the impact that's had not only in movies i mean it was so good that it it then spawned off his own like he had his own franchise essentially based off the back of him doing motion capture which was the planet of the apes series yeah where he was the lead and the entire thing was built on the fact that you had this amazing motion capture technology which he pioneered and he, you know, and and he smashed it. And it, again, it all came from this. Like when they turned up on set in for uh, the two towers, he was just this guy in basically a gimp suit, just throwing himself around. Like yeah, because you were saying apart. about some of the like the not not so much the comments, but some of the questions and people were like, "The fuck is this guy doing?" Like, yeah, exactly. So like I, again, I was watching some of the behind the scenes stuff, and again, something to be said about Lord of the Rings is that with the box sets and things you can get. It's probably one of the most well-documented making of films where every single element of it is 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 well sort of um, documented. But there's a whole thing where people didn't understand what they were going to be doing with Andy. And by people, I basically mean Elijah Wood and Sean Astin. Yeah. When he first turned up, like, they didn't really get... Like, so this guy turns up, he's wearing this grey, like, gimp suit, this, oh, this British bloke. <laughs> and he's just making, doing this weird... And they were like... Okay, so you're doing the voice of of um, Gollum, but then like Sean Astin was like, "So do I? Am I meant to be looking at you or look, looking past you? Because that's where they're going to put the CGI character in." And he's like, "The Andy, like, I had to explain to him, no, 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 I'm look, I'm playing the character. I'm here for you to react off me. So if I'm in the scene, react to me as if I'm an actor in the scene." And like they just didn't yeah. get it because it just it was so uncharted territory in terms of. A, C- a computer generated or a you know a CGI character being on set, and again, I, this was around the time of Jar Jar Binks, yeah, um, which again was a sort of similar technology in that they had a guy armored best in a big suit 
on set, but they I remember seeing the behind the scenes stuff for that where they had like Jar Jar's eyes on top of his head. So that they had well, yeah, eye, so he had a story. yeah, he had Jar Jar's head on top of his head. Yeah. And then they sort of remapped that in place. Yeah. And then, recovered a lot of the ground there. Whereas this was sort of astronomically different. This is a full removal and reproduction of an actual character. Yeah. Not just something in the background, not when we see the Oliphants or when we see the Ents or something like that. This isn't a composite shot. No. This is complete removal of Andy and replacing him with Gollum. Yeah. Which is a fucking um, phenomenal achievement for something that's got a character in it as much as he's in it and as consistently as in it. Yeah, and and like the, just the, you think about the difficulty and the painstakingness of which they had to do it. Like, I mean, one of the opening scenes that you get with Gollum is when he's there's a sort of confrontation between him, Sam, and Frodo, and they fight. Um, and they basically made a point of recreating this. There was a particular piece of artwork from one of the um, concept artists from the previous book. I think it was Alan Lee or John Howe, one of those guys, which we talked about last week, and it was literally. Mm this moment of Gollum like wrapping his arms and legs around Sam and then Frodo pulling out Sting and holding it to his throat. And it's literally exact. They recreated it exactly as it was, but you think about what the difficulty of that, that's like, right. So you've got to have to, you have to have an actor in place so that they know what everything's, and then you have to paint out Andy Serkis's arm, which is around Sean Aston's neck and then replace yeah. it with a CGI one. You have to, and then you talk about, well, you have to make it look a realistic looking arm. So you have to have like layers of skin and stuff that are painted in via technology, via computer generated. And it's just like, you're making it difficult for yourselves, but you're doing, you're, you're doing it the way it should be done. Because it, it, Gollum's one of those ones where if they hadn't got it right, then the whole thing could have fallen apart. Yeah. He's such like, an important character. And he's so, yeah, he's, he's so... Yeah. He is quite trite to say sort of like, Oh, it's a perfect storm of this, that, and the other. But it fucking is. Yeah. And like, because we are looking at, like, you could have had Gollum, Gollum be as perfect as he was. But if you didn't, if Gollum wasn't as amazing as he was, and Aragorn wasn't as amazing as he was, and the chemistry between the between everybody wasn't as good as it was, and it, there's so many sort of layers in there that needed to be, like, spot on. Yeah. And they absolutely fucking smashed it. Like, especially with Gollum. Like, this is, yeah. And it has become one of those things where it's like, yeah, yeah, no, I know. I know, like, Gollum was incredible. But it is. It's, this is, for me, this is, like, peak of, well, I don't know if I'd say peak, but I'd say this was, like, a turning point. Yeah, in, and it has you think about not only where we are now in terms of just movies, but also things like video games. I mean, look at like yeah. things like the last of us we just played and how yeah. much of that is motion captured and just done with actors on sets with dots all over their face and all the rest of it. And all of that technology comes from Lord of the Rings and, and Andy yeah. circus and, and that pioneering stuff that they did. Um, and that you also, and then you start to realize like, I mean, I remember, you know, talking of where he's gone since like you know star wars and playing snoke people don't realize it's the same guy because the thing with him the problem with andy is that as great as he is because he's this he's sort of carved out this niche for himself as being the the motion capture guy people never realize that it's the same guy doing everything because he's just he's Mm. so like you never see his face 
But if you mm-hmm. think about just for, for, as a vocal actor, he's amazing. Just even, even in this, because he's still playing two characters in this. He's playing both Gollum and Smeagol. Yeah. And that's, oh, yeah. Like that scene, as much as everyone talks about it, it's fully justified. It's, it's one of those things that what one we often talk about and we're like, yeah, that is good. But think about this. And like the, we often sort of shine a light on the things that might, might not be so well noticed within them. Mm. Um, like, for example, where uh, Aragorn at the end of Fellowship takes the braces mm. off of Boromir. Yeah. And wears them for the rest of the film. If you notice, like, he wears them even in the scene where they foresee his death, and where he's like sort of lying mm. uh, on the on the tomb, and Arwen's there. Mm. He's still wearing them there, and those are like those are little touches that you're like, that's really clever, that's really good, that's really interesting, that's a nice touch. But when you look at something like Gollum, that's so in your face, it it becomes difficult to notice how great it is at, at points yeah because it's, if you forget because it's so obvious and it's so obvious but it's also so well done yeah that you don't think about it in that way you don't think oh fucking hell that looks amazing yeah because you're doing you're thinking about what you should be thinking about which is the the context of the story which is like Gollum's there to demonstrate what could happen to frodo and, and yeah. the corrupting power of the ring. And he dem- he does that, he demonstrates it, you see it, and you get that whole dichotomy of Gollum versus Smeagol. And again, you're entirely bought into that and thinking about exactly what you should be thinking about because the technology is so seamless that you're not thinking about it. You just yeah. you just accept that he's real and you just you bought in. And so it means that they've built that up. So by the time you do get to that scene, that um that schizophrenia scene where he's talking to himself. You're you're bought in enough to be able to just go. I understand what's happening here, and I'm really invested in in the emotional back and forth between the two of them. Um, yeah, and it is the two of them. It really is because um, you have that. You know what Frodo could have become, and that's something else that I sort of discovered again, sort of revisiting some of the behind the scenes material, which is something they ended up cutting, which is interesting because. Um, at one point they were going to have a sequence during the Faramir part where you saw a flash of Frodo as like a golem like creature. Oh yeah. So I saw the, I've seen some sort of behind the scenes sort of shots of this. Mm. And it was literally just, so they, they made up Elijah Wood so that he was like in this sort of, he wasn't quite as far gone as Gollum, but he was getting there. Like he's, he's, he was gray and you could see all the, all the veins in his, in his, um, and he had like weird dark eyes contact lenses and he had like his hair was falling out and all the rest of it and like it was just going to be a glimpse this like flash and you're almost a little bit like what happened with um uh gladriel like in this in the first one where you saw like this is what she could become yeah type thing uh, and they chose to cut that but it was an interesting idea and i'm i'm kind of wish they would there's a couple of things that they played around with in this one um, and some of them I'm glad they did cut, and but that's one that I'm I, I kind of wish we'd seen that. Really? It's, well, even, even it's, in the, just the extended cut thing, maybe it would have just, or maybe it would have been too much of driving out that point home. I think we we get the corrupting influence of the ring on Frodo in this one. Um, and yeah. that's very much demonstrated by the you know what how his story ends in this one is that they had that whole um, sequence with the Nazgul 
Um, and then he confronts Sam and almost gets violent with Sam and then pulls his sword on him. Um, yeah. And that's that's the big sort of climax of his story in this one, um, which again was something they completely manufactured for the film. Yeah. Because um, they are sort of just like bimbling around. Well, I say bimbling around. They're obviously on their their voyage, but it's um, mm. it's a lot more straightforward. Like they added a lot of the character sort of work in the, in the film. Yeah, and they have to because the difficulty they had with adapting this one is because the way the book is structured is that you have there are two halves of it. So basically, it tells yeah. all of the Aragorn and um, Merry and Pippin story in one half of the book, and then it goes into another book, another part of the book, which is all the Sam and Frodo stuff, and mm. it goes further. So in the Two Towers book, it goes into Shelob's lair and stuff, which doesn't act, in the film adaptation doesn't happen until um, Return of the King. Yeah. But, but I mean, it's right at the start, isn't it? But at the same time, it's like, yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, um, but that's like because again, the, the, this the, this one starts in a different way than the book as well. Mm. Yeah. So um, I'm just trying to think. So the because the, 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 the um, yeah, because in the book again, Boromir is still alive at the end of Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah, he so dies Bor- at the start of Two Towers. Exactly, yeah. So that starts and then that kicks off into and that then leads straight into the chase, which is between Aragorn and the and the um Urukai, because it all just flows straight on from one another, whereas the films decided to break it up. And again, I think it's a great example. I think it works better. It does. It, they they really understand the structure of film and how you have to restructure things for films. Like, right, well, you know, Ar- you know, Boromir's death has to be this emotional payoff at the end of Fellowship of the Ring. We can't save that until the next one. So they no. do that. And the same with this, where they go, they understand that having Shelob and having that happen at the same time as Helm's Deep would be too much. It would you'd be, you know, there'd be too much going on and it would be too Yeah, like, it's overwhelming and it's, it's yeah. Like I think the way that they've they've framed sort of Boromir's death at the end of the first one goes to show the corrupting influence of the ring at the point that we needed to see that. So yeah. we needed to see somebody have an effect at that point. Well, yeah, it's the justification for the the breaking of the fellowship, if you like. It's the, yeah. it's the the final straw that makes Frodo realise, yeah, I've got to go and do this on my own. Because look, yeah. this happened, it's started with Boromir, but there's nothing to stop it happening to everyone else. So I'm going to yeah. go. Um, and so, yeah, it makes perfect sense for them to do what they did with it. Um, and again, like, I feel like this One is... One thing that I did, saying about Boromir... Mm and the effect of the ring one thing i prefer from the book is the um oh what's his brother called faramir, faramir. yeah the faramir uh in the in the film is like oh i can take it and i can do this and i can do that mm. in the book he's like no, no that's that thing's fucked like i'm not going anywhere near it like, uh, i don't I, well it's probably not as um yeah. I think I think the line, is, that, I think but the line in the book is that if it was laying on the side of the road, I would not pick it up. Yeah, he says something along those lines. I, I'm kind of torn about that because I think yeah, again, you know, listening to some of the writers and stuff, I think it's um, Fran Welsh talking about it. It's like by doing that, it kind of undermines the the corrupting power of the ring. As you're you're trying to set up how corrupting this ring is how it's corrupting yeah. even a good person like Frodo, look what he did to Gollum. And then the guy turns up and goes, nah, I don't want it. It would kind of take yeah. all the, do you know what I mean? It would take away from all that. So I feel like, again, that's yeah. a good adaptation of it. And the fact that he, he is able to resist, it doesn't mean he's not tempted. 
Yeah. I mean, even, even I think, Gandalf yeah, you're right scared. there. Even Gandalf is scared of it. Do you know, even get like Gandalf yeah. as virtuous and good as he is, he was scared of it, didn't want to take it. And like, and, even, that's even, th- and that's one of the things that I think is that it, it goes to show like the, 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 the binding of duty that so many of these characters have yeah. and that they all disguise this behind, um, uh, they all disguise it behind power, and they all disguise it behind. Oh, if I were if I were to have it, then I would do this, and if I were to have it, I would do this. And they're all. It's all well and good that they're all telling everybody like, oh, I would use it for good, and I would do this with it, and I would do that with it. But the fact that they are not, um, um, they're not taking it. They're just telling people how virtuous they would be about it. Whereas it takes one person to come along and just go, no. Yeah. I've just got, I just can't be anywhere near that. I don't want it. It's your burden to take, get it out of here, take it away. Mm. I think that goes to show that there is like, there are depths of different sorts of people that can work within this world. Yeah. I because think- Tom Bombadil was another character who it just didn't have an effect on. He just wasn't, didn't care about it. Yeah. I mean, obviously partly because Tom Bombadil's Jesus, I think. But uh, at the same get, time, it's by having um, what's it, uh, Faramir mm. say that and go, I'm all right, thanks, mate, sort of thing, and be at that point where he doesn't want it around him and he doesn't want it to do any, doesn't want to do anything with it but recognizes it as just pure evil goes to show that he's not in this war to prove it for himself. Mm. Like his, his reasons to be in this war and his reasons to do these things are not the same as other people. It's not about proving this and proving that and being this and being that he's genuinely there to talk about, uh, like he seems to be there out of his own sort of behavior of sort of sense of duty rather than, um, I don't know. I don't know. It's, I see. That I get the point, mm. but what I'm saying is that, it, in some senses, it feels like we need a character like that. We need somebody to say, "No, I'm frightened of this thing. I don't. I don't want to be around it. Yeah. Like I'm not. It's not that he wants it and thinks that he can use it for great, great power. And oh, I would say I, I, I would try to do good with it, and I would, but I wouldn't. And I would do this, and I would do that, and that's all great and virtuous. But that's the same with a gun. Yeah. You know, it's the biggest, most powerful gun that exists in this universe. Mm. And there's someone that's like, I don't want to be anywhere near it. Mm. I don't want this thing near me. I don't, I wouldn't touch it. Wouldn't touch it with yours, let alone, you know. Yeah, I know. I think that's something that is, I think I love Faramir as a character. He's always been, I've always loved Faramir as a character. This is one of the reasons, stuff like this and Rohan, which we'll talk about later, um, is part of the reason why I love these second two maybe a little bit more than fellowship but what yeah. i think i think it's improved faramir's storyline in this is improved by the extended cut because you get that scene with uh denethor and boromir right you get that flashback scene and then again then the, then when you get to the him being tempted by the ring you understand that it's he's doing it thinking about his father's approval which is something that he's clearly yeah. trying uh, all, yeah. all he wants is that is like and again, they did this great idea. There's this line which you don't realize is him repeating it if you just watch the theatrical cut. Is about him proving his quality 
a chance for Captain, yeah. Faramir, Captain of Gondor, to prove his quality. And he's repeating back what his father said. Oh, yeah, you, what, you want to go to Rivendell, do you? Chance for you to prove your quality like that. Shitty. And then in, the, in this, he's got the ring in front of him. This is a chance for me to prove my quality. So now we know that's tied to what his father's saying. And he's thinking, if I was to bring my father this gift, maybe then he'll take me seriously and give a shit and treat me like yeah. he always treated Boromir. So that's all the context behind it, which again, I think that's a little bit lost in the um, theatrical cut. But you do get that once you get to, um, once you meet Denethor in Return of the King. Um, and that just makes him a lot more, it's a, it's a very much a relatable modern day thing that people can get their heads around about a father seeking, a son seeking his father's approval. It's yeah, and it is like a, it's just a timeless thing, isn't it? Yeah. It's one of those things like books as far back as you know when you're looking through like Jane Austen books, and there are characters in there, and their entire motivation is just to be recognised by their father. And yeah. um, Frankenstein, for example, like you know, and the people are like, oh, it's the modern Prometheus, and it's this, this, and this, and it's this, this, and this. His motivation, uh, the monster's motivation, is because he's been spurned. And he's yeah. been spurned by who he sees as his father and creator and be that the same way one or the next. But he's turning that back on itself. Mm. And he's sort of saying, if you can't do this, then I'm going to take this from you. And I'm going to do this because you should love me. And it's, again, it's showing this sort of, not benevolence, but like the the extra level of strength of character that Faramir has but his desperation at the same time he is willing just to yeah. go ahead with what his father says because he's desperate for his approval and he desperately wants his dad to recognize him as a man and to be the virtuous person yeah and that, that's why I like so I think that is something that they added all of that him taking them to Osgiliath and all that that happens is an addition that's nothing happened none of that happened in the book in the book he finds them as a cup of tea and lets them go. That's basically it. But I do feel like this is an improvement because it's just to show that there, there are layers, like you say, there, there, are, there are lots of different layers and motivations behind people being corrupted by the ring. It's not just a case of them, yeah. you know, an evil thing corrupting evil people. And it's the same with Boromir. Boromir wasn't an inherently evil guy. He, had, no. he wanted to do good things. He, and he was just corrupted by it more quickly than Faramir was. But Faramir was able to resist just that little bit more. Um, yeah, I love all that, but we'll talk about that more. Um, but that I think Faramir recognized it for what it was rather than what it could be, yeah. And that's one of the things, again, like Faramir's sort of been one of my favorite characters because he, although he's not in it, he is like, I don't know, I always just thought he was cool when I read it when I was a kid, but at the same time, it is those, those points when you go, uh, when Faramir sort of just sort of says, Look, don't, don't, don't give it to me, I don't want it. Oh, I don't want to hear. I don't want to be around it. I don't want to. Don't want to touch it. I don't want to be involved with it. It's not my burden to carry. It's yours. Yeah. And uh, yeah, jog, jog on. <laughs> is yeah. Uh, is I think is the exact phraseology that I think he uses. That's what he says. Yeah. So yeah, jog on. I think that's what he says. Yeah. Um, yeah. Get fucked four eyes as well. Didn't he say that? <laughs> four eyes. <laughs> yeah. Fuck um, four eyes. Anyway. So, moving past um, Frodo and Sam and Gollum, I think the the other big part of obviously in Return of the King, uh, Return of the King, Two Towers is uh, Aragorn and Legolas and Gimli and their story. Yeah. So, I mean, 
this is great. This is where, again, the, the breaking of the fellowship means that we're now cutting between all these different stories. They've married them all up so that they're happening simultaneously. Um, but the, the story with, um, with these guys basically expands the world and gets you into Rohan, which is this whole other you know, kingdom of men that we were completely unaware of from the first um, movie. Yeah. Um, but they are basically, this movie to me is, is Rohan versus Saruman is what the two towers is all about. Whereas return of the King is all about um, Gondor versus Sar- Sauron. Yeah. And that's their way of sort of breaking it up because it's like, it's like this first one is like they're fighting a proxy war. It's this, it's yeah, this corrupting power who's been influenced. And then they've got this whole um, Rohan thing. Um, yeah. It's, um, this is one of my favorite sequences throughout the whole, um, all, all three films, to be yeah, honest. I love Rohan. I like it's this sort of Anglo-Saxon, sort of Celtic um, little you know society. And again, this is another example of a, of a a culture that they that were able to build through the set decoration, through the costuming, through even and the music as well. Like Rohan has his own theme that plays, um, and that's yeah. something we've been a bit really missing talking about so far is the music of Lord of the Rings, which is an absolute symphony fucking masterpiece. Yeah, it's um, fucking amazing. But yeah, and I love. So again, you've got this whole idea of there being a a king that's got a, a the worm tongue character whispering in his ear as an agent of Sauron turning against his own kin, um, which is this really sort of Shakespearean. Uh, it feels like King Lear. It feels like yeah, and I love it. I love all that stuff. Um, <laughs> it's fucking brilliant. And you get it, it's a great piece of character building, particularly for. Um, for Aragorn, because this is the film where Aragorn starts to come into his own as a leader. Yeah. Um, he steps up like a lot in this film. I mean, initially, you know, we are talking about the first film being like setting the scene, bringing everyone together Mm. and establishing who is, whom is whom and where they're going and what they're doing. And then out of that, we start pulling things like, right. You know, we've got to get this moving now. This is where things start to pick up. This is where things start to move along. And this is where we start to see who these people are. Yeah, and you start to understand and, and the, the camaraderie between them as well. Like that is, and particularly with that great whole sequence with um, at the beginning of this, where she was just Aragorn, Legolas and Gimli chasing the dwarves. They start, they're sort of bickering with each other. They've got a bit of banter going back and forth, which wasn't really there in the first one. They were still getting to know each other a little bit. Like yeah, he would still refer to him as Master Dwarf and stuff like that. Um, and now they're like they're like brothers in arms. They really know each other, and you really get that. And it's what, particularly by the time you get to the end in Helm's Deep. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, Aragorn just stepping up and sort of, and he puts his point across, and has to has to have arguments with this king who's you know Theoden. Um, but I feel like yeah, it's a great continuation of his character arc because that moment with Boromir at the end, and like you say, he puts those braces on with yeah. the, the white tree of Gondor. I think that was like his wake up call that, cause he always had this whole thing before where he has no sort of faith in men as a race. Cause he feels like they're weak and mm-hmm. he, he always gravitates towards the elves. And that was something that Boromir sort of pulled him up on. He was like, Oh, you were quick enough to trust the elves. Why wouldn't you take him yeah. to Gondor? And then the, the, so Boromir's sacrifice at the end was his sort of wake up call that no, this is what men are all about. Yeah. This is what men can do, and that—that's then something that carries on into, um, into two towers, um, and he has this amazing relationship with Theoden, 
who again another actor who sort of I feel like I've never seen him in anything else before or since but Bernard Lee who plays um Theoden in this is an amazing actor why is he not in it oh he's he's fucking brilliant he's great he's so good he's got this whole he's kind of like a he's conflicted he's you know he's got this this sort of isolationism bitterness that great moment he has where you know um aragorn's asking him to call for to gondor and he's where was gondor when our enemies closed in around us where was gondor and this whole like yeah this anger he also has the one of the first scenes we get with him is him realizing that whilst he's been under this corrupting spell by saruman his son has died yeah and he has that amazing line and breakdown where no parent should have to bury their child which is an absolutely heartbreaking piece. And it's like, if there's anything that is going to get you on board with the character immediately, it's something like that. And it's completely sold by his performance. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> He's fucking brilliant in this. Like, uh, I've seen Bernard Lee in other things, but never to this extent. He he's normally plays a dad. Yeah. You know, he normally plays someone's dad or he, and as he does in this, but he play, he would be like, a dad rather than a kingly father heavy as the head that wears the crown blah 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 you know along those sort of yeah. sides of stuff it's taken his caliber as an actor and pushed it into sort of a new dimension of really being able to understand these thoughts and ways and uh, the, the, the problems that he has and the bitterness that he's experienced throughout this time before all of this is sort of laid in his lap and it is fear. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not spitefulness. He's not doing it out of spite. He's doing it because he's afraid. And that is presented in like a really key way as well, because he's not, he never, they, they never sort of specifically say, you're not, you're not doing it because of this, you're doing it because you're afraid, but inherently it's there. Yeah. There's another one. Of there are ways that you see like the, the hubris that he's got when we are in, you know, when we get to the Helm's Deep, I know we're not there yet, but you know, the hubris that he's got and he's like, Oh, is it always going to be this easy? And you're like, now nah, you fucking said it. Why'd you say Well that? done. Yeah. Yeah. Dickhead, come on. <laughs> yeah, there's always one prick that has to fucking say that. Isn't there? Yeah. Come on. Um, yeah. So like he, cause his immediate reaction to hearing upon, you know, he sort of wakes up out of this days and that's another great sequence where they, um, they use makeup to make him look like this old, like decrepit old man. And they yeah. have this sort of this sequence where he is released from the spell, if you like, and then sort of comes back to himself and suddenly de-ages like 20 years in the space of 20 seconds. And that's, yeah. great, that's a great effect they did there. I, I'm sure they, they have some amazing sort of technology that went behind that. Um, but they did that. And then, yeah, what his, once he realizes what's going on, his first thought is, we got to go to Helm's Deep. Retreat from Helm's yeah. Deep because we can't stay and defend this you know Edoras, this city which again they just built from scratch this giant this set in the middle of uh, you know in the middle of nowhere in this mountain yeah. this little hill in front of a load of mountains um in what is presumably the windiest point of all of new zealand because just everything's constantly moving in those scenes because it's just absolutely getting battered by like gale force winds <laughs> constantly again like behind the scenes at one point apparently the, the wind was so bad it ripped the glasses off peter jackson's face and they just fall off, and he never gone back. And so it's like, yeah, you can't defend this. It's ridiculous. 
Um, so they um, they all held head to Helm's Deep, and then a lot of Two Towers, the sort of the back end of it, is about the build up to Helm's Deep, and then the Battle of Helm's Deep itself, which yeah. is phenomenal, and still to my mind one of the best battle sequences ever put on film and not just the battle itself i think a lot of it is to do with the build-up as well um because the battle itself isn't even a particularly long one if you were to like take out the actual running time of it it's probably what a quarter of an hour maybe yeah if that 20 but, minutes but just the amount of build-up they have to it and just the the fact that when they realize right we're gonna have to we, we're really low on numbers we're gonna have to arm all the old men and the kids and you have like yeah. these sequences, these as Bernard Lee's giving this amazing sort of voiceover speech, whilst these kids are getting like put, they put these chain mail on the kids and these oversized helmets on these little boys who have to go out and fight because this, yeah. they're literally that. And it's and it is fucking terrifying and scary and just it's like, fucking frightening. Like as it comes, I laugh off. because uh, some of it is comedy. Like there is one thing that I want to raise is there's, there's a child who's clearly been ADR'd to have a significantly. Um, higher voice <laughs> they say we will not survive the night they say we will not survive the night <laughs> they, they say it is hopeless <laughs> he talks like that but they've just like they've ADR'd him yeah, first of all that's a bit on the nose kid secondly um, what's up with that voice yeah that's not your voice is it <laughs> <laughs> like I know it sounds awful but it, it like and it should I should be looking at this from like a filmic perspective and going hey this is really clever Lord of the Rings is really good yeah, but I can't get past that high voice that's just come out of that that teenager. That's definitely going to be like, yeah, I don't think we're going to make it through. But no, it doesn't matter because no, Aragorn he's, he's has got a swing. The, he's got the exactly. Aragorn has a swing of his sword. Aragorn's a fucking badass, and I love that. Like again, they they add they they take mo- so many liberties um, in this particular movie with the the, the original text. But I think they. For the most part, they improve it. And one of them is that the whole sequence we get with Aragorn where he, there is a warg attack on the on the convoy and he sort of, they think he's dead for a bit. Yeah. Um, and then he comes back. And again, that's something that I feel like you only really get the point of that if you watch the extended cut because you realise uh, yeah. who the horse is, which has just sort of clicked with me this sort of most recently time I watched it. Where So they have this sequence early on where there's a horse has kind of gone mad and the horse is the horse of um, Theoden's son. And it's like they, they can't tame it again. No one's ever going to be able to ride it again because this it's just it's gone mad. He sort of calms it down with by speaking some Elvish to it and relaxing it and says, right, this I'm not going to take this horse for myself. Set him free because he's seen enough of war. And then later yeah. on when he's like lying by the, the side of the river and he's about to die, this it's that same horse that comes and picks him up. And it's like, right, because he set him free, because he's got, and it's this sort of mythical, like, there's some magic at work here. And it's like, and, and Arwen may or may not have something to do with it. But again, it's that sort of higher power thing going on, um, which you, you do kind of get once you watch the extended cut. Um, and then, of course, he gets the moment where he, he, the most badass opening of Doors ever committed to film. Yeah. Um, and that's the only way you open. It. That's the only way you can ever open double doors now. If you're yeah. a bloke, I don't know about you. That's that's how I do it. Um, it's that's how I do it every time. It's completely unnecessary, but it think it makes me think that I'm like Aragorn in Two Towers, so it's okay. Uh, <laughs> I tend uh, to do like the um, 
like the like the quirky female character that's being flirted with by the lead man, I tend to sort of lean on a door and then fall backwards through it. Oh god, right, yeah. And then I stand up, my hair's a little bit messed up, and my glasses are skew if, and then I giggle and shut the door. That's that's how I walk through any door. At the end, do you do you take your glasses off and then suddenly you're already hot? I am really hot. No, no. Well, I mean, yeah, you're having hot flashes and having to like put on. I'm assuming you've got several fans around you right now. I have many fans. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, you can find my OnlyFans account as well. Uh, um... oh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't know what they are. I don't know what that means. Um... Boobs. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. I mean... <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. The, the build up to Helm's Deep. Um, we also get um, finally Legolas gets something to do because he's like, much other than just being a co- you know cool bow and arrow guy. He actually gets a moment of um, argument here uh, between him and um, Aragorn, which I thought was done quite well. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, it's everyone. Look at them. Most of them, you know, look. They're afraid. You can see it in their eyes. It's like, of course they are. And they're, and they're, yeah, they're all going to die. And then Aragorn just shouts at him, I will die as one of them. I was like, yeah, yeah, you fucking will. And then again, Aragorn's <laughs> stepping up. Yeah. Stepping up and he's like, and then doing his sort of, um, his getting ready montage, which is awesome. And then... They should have step- hearts on fire over the top. It should, didn't it? Shouldn't it? Yeah. Um, I'm sure that exists on YouTube somewhere. We have to find that. Um, it exists in my, in my brain. <laughs> Um, and then Legolas turning up and saying sorry I was wrong and again that's another little great little moment of getting back to the theme of this whole series which is friendship and the sort of the bonds that of war and all that kind of stuff and it, that doesn't mean that you can't fall out every now and then yeah and like you that. will fall out and like yeah, the things people from tense. backgrounds <laughs> that are like people that would have hated each other before are forced together and become extraordinarily good friends mm, don't tell me and that. yeah <laughs> and and that's and that's yeah that's i think part of the, the whole principle of the book really is about the ties that bind in these sort of uh, exceptional circumstances following on from gandalf's speech in the first like Helm's Deep is fucking amazing. Like yeah. uh, it's I mean, one of those things. It's like visually, the, the visual level, how spectacular it is, and the physical masterpiece yeah, and that is the, that series of miniatures and bigotures. It can only really be sort of defined and described by watching it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an amazing, and it's still it kind of it was a wake up call in terms of this series when you realise the scale of everything. Of what, like, yeah. before, you know, in the first one, it was like, again, it was a small band of people, and there was a big fight at the end of the first one, but it was just a group of guys fighting a bunch of blokes in the woods, sort of thing. Whereas this yeah. one went, oh, fuck, this is Lord of the Rings. This is Lord of the Rings. Holy shit. Yeah. And, like, this is and, war now. This and, is the battle. Yeah. And it's another one where this you is... can tell they've they got a shitload of guys dressed up as Urukai put a load of fake rain out there and just fucked about in a quarter. And it took them four months to film just that sequence. Yeah. And the, and they suffered. Like and you can tell everyone people. fucking hated it. Yeah. And said it was hell because it was just, it was night shoots. They had to keep in a these, quarry in a quarry. They had to keep putting these like big, like um, rubber suits on for the Urukai. And again, he didn't would do the obvious thing, which, and it's not to say they supplemented it with CGI because they didn't have 10,000 guys to use Urukai, obviously. They had a couple no. of hundred and then scaled that up. But 
all the ones at the front of the you know that you can that you get all the hero shots of if you like are guys in suits and it shows and it's so yeah. much better can you imagine if they just done the whole army out of cgi it just would not have worked no. anywhere near as well, well that's part of the problem with the the failings of the hobbit yeah absolutely Oh, absolutely. You know, yeah, there's I mean, so the, much of the Hobbit that is just CGI, like the White Orc and yeah, all that. So I don't still don't know if I've seen the Battle, Battle of the Five Armies. The Battle of the Five Armies, I think, I think I have, but... the, the the battle itself. When I, I'm forgetting the fact that the film is called the Battle of the Five Armies, the actual battle itself at the Battle of the Five Armies, it just looks like like Command and Conquer or something. Mm. It looks like you've just right clicked over that group of dwarves and ask them to go and attack that group of elves with the left click go that's what's happening you're just yeah. watching it play out on screen it's just everything about it is completely cgi there's not nothing real about it uh, billy Connolly turns up as riding a fucking pig i'm not i'm not making it up um yeah it's awful it's everything everything that the that helm's deep is not yeah but the same like one of the one of the things that we're going to get to next week is um, um, the final, like all oh, the not the final battle, but Pernal Fields. Yeah, which again, that is somewhere in the middle for me. Is it's like again, it hasn't gone as far as the Hobbit does, but it's no, it's they it, they do inherently have to rely on some CGI on it, but still, like, I mean, yeah, because yeah, we'll talk about it next week. But just the the cavalry charge and all that sort of stuff is still yeah. clearly done. There are for real fucking amazing things yeah, there are yeah. there are there's some absolute level of like spectacular cinematography filmmaking everything that goes into this to pull it together as a whole just perfectly works yeah um and just yeah just there are so many moments throughout helm's deep i mean you obviously you get the biggest departure from the book and a lot of th- a thing that a lot of fans hate is the elves turning up yeah i don't really have a problem with it I, I don't have a problem with that. Pretty cool. And it just makes it feel that little bit more realistic that the guys are able to hold on as long as they are. Also makes it feel like the um like this is this middle earth pulling together. Yeah, and it almost like because originally the whole idea of that was that it was gonna be Arwen was gonna turn up. Yeah. And Ar- and literally Liv Tyler flew out there. She did loads of sword training, she did all this stuff, and they and they ended up cutting it. Um, and part of that was there, there was a bit of a, a backlash um, from the fans about uh, once they heard that that was what was going to be happening. Um, but then part of it was they realized that that wasn't the right thing to do, really, and they had other ways of doing it. But I'm mm. glad they kept part of it because, like I say, it was great to see that, yeah, the elves, they weren't just this afterthought. They did, like, come and help. And, they, and basically they die in this. Like They send a little group of elves and pretty much every single one of them just gets killed. Yeah. So it's, a, it's a one and done. It's like it's not like, oh, right, we're going to send a full army next time. It's like, right, we helped out this one time. This is all we've got. So, yeah. <laughs> like, sorry. Like, yeah. Um, and it means that you get these amazing shots where, you know, Aragorn, like, orders them to just let loose a load of arrows. Um, and just, yeah, the, the, some of the, the battle sequences in Helm's Deep are amazing. They are fucking brilliant. Just the, the ladders, um, the the Legolas going down the um, going down the stairs on a, on a shield. Oh fucking! Like, do you like uh, that or not? I hate it. <laughs> Why? <laughs> because it's just it's just fucking silly. It's like, so cool. There's though. so much. It's not cool, is it? It is cool. <laughs> it's just fucking. It 
just cheapens it. No, it cheapens the cool. Lord of the Rings into some weird, stupid, like. And now, is it what? What it feels like is someone's gone. Like you know, it'd be cool. Like get Legolas to do surfing on a shield down the stairs. It feels like Triple X. It feels like Vin Diesel came up with that idea when he was visiting set one day, and everyone went, oh, "Yeah, we'll put." Oh, we we actually did put it in. I look, I like it. I remember loving it. It's because again, I watched these as a kid, and I, and Legolas was just a really cool character when you were a kid. Um, and it was just like it was this. It was a crowd pleasing moment in a in a desperate battle situation, and it needed. That. It was an eye rolling moment for me and everybody that i went with at the time we were like well what this doesn't fit in this entire film it's fine it works and then no it doesn't does it what do you mean doesn't why doesn't it work it doesn't work because it's just fucking surfing it's it's some of the stuff that you would complain that people are going to complain about people complain about the same sort of things happening in the hobbit and they're like it's just fucking silly no it's bouncing down this thing Uh, 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 no it is nowhere near as bad as some of the stuff in the hobbit in the hobbit he's like using like falling stones to like defy gravity that's ridiculous i agree this is like no he's a sure-footed elf dom yeah exactly but that i agree he's not a fucking surfer Right, like I, I, I know what you mean, but it's as egregious to me as egre- no. it is just as bad to me. No, it's not. Right, well, I th- we have to agree to disagree on that one because I don't think it's anywhere near as bad as some of the stuff in the Hobbit. In some of the stuff in the Hobbit, yeah, he is literally defying gravity and it's clearly CGI. Whereas this is like they still, this is still a practical stunt, and it's still and it makes sense that it's something that he would be able to do. And it's like he just he needs to get down these stairs as quickly as he possibly can. And he wants to be able to continue shooting as he's doing it because there's a shit. You know what he could have done? He could have walked down and just fired the arrows as he was going. As he slowly, he would have been able to take out a lot more of those orcs than the three shots that he made whilst stair surfing, dude. Yeah, but then he also killed one with the shield that he was surfing on because he flicked it off. Cool. I'm sure he could have taken out just as many more by just taking his time. If he got off the stairs and did a fucking ollie off them or something, I'd be with you. But he didn't. Fucking ollied it into an orc. He's like, ah, take that. Yeah, kickflip. Uh, and then he does a backflip and uh, right, whilst is, he's drinking a Red Bull. Look, it's just because you're, you're a bitter old man, all right? I'm not it's a cool. bitter old man. You it's are. It's cool. Silly. Shut up. It's cool. No, not cool. It's, it's dumb and stupid and you should be ashamed of yourself. No, it's cool. You're wrong. Uh, <laughs> Like, maybe this this is like all the podcasts that we've done. This, like, is, this is the one this is thing the one that we've This is the thing that absolutely broken the fellowship. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that we we the whole thing crumbles over is this. <laughs> is uh, surfing on the on the orc shield cool or is it egregious? <laughs> oh, it's dumb and stupid, and I it's hate not. it. It's fucking brilliant. Right, we're gonna Dying we're gonna, we're gonna do a poll. We're gonna do a poll on the, on our on our Facebook, or you guys should write in and let us know: Is Legolas on the shield in Helm's Deep? Is that cool, or is it stupid and dumb? It's stupid and dumb. We all okay, know the that, answer. That'll, that'll be really interesting. Dumb's just desperately clutching onto nostalgia. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. It's fucking brilliant. It was you cool know? when I was a kid. No, it's cool now. I like George R. Binks. No, no, no. He no, was no. funny. He made no. me laugh. Shut up. He's a he's a big racist parable, but it's fine. Because I liked him as a kid. 
Yeah, done you. You're dead. You got served. Yeah, talking shit. I'm not going. I don't think we should waste any more time talking about it. But you, I, I, <laughs> I disagree. Um, yeah, I, but yeah, genuinely, it's just it's it's just it's that feels to me like a precursor to some of the silly things that happen in the Hobbit. Yeah, like um, the Hobbit. The Hobbit is a lot more is is far more guilty of some of the stuff that it does. Yeah, and some and, and far more uh, unabashed in the way that it presents these things as just, oh, fuck it, let's just get on with it. Let's just do it. Let's just yeah. make it look, let's do what they've got to say, you know, because otherwise they're not going to shut up. But yeah, it was just one of those things that's always stood out to me as like an eye-rolly moment. No, I love it. And <laughs> like, I, and that's the thing, I, I respect your opinion, but <laughs> it's wrong. Right. The only thing that is better than that bit is the bit where he takes out the entire Onophon on his own. Um, but we'll talk about that next week. Uh, what about the thing where he swings and then back swings around to get on the horse and it just defies physics that I literally lie awake at night thinking about? How what? How did he get on the horse? How well, does that work? It's okay because the Lando Bloom broke a rib doing it, so, so, so it's all right. Good. But he complained about it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, so he, yeah, it's that, that thing. That's the one. That everyone, everyone got hurt making this one. So Lando Bloom broke a... Um, broke a rib and then the other one that is really good is um when vigo um breaks his toes by kicking the helmet yes <laughs> which is something you have to yeah. talk about so there's this is quite early on in the film um but when they're just when they get to the end of their chase trying to find mary and pippin um the guys come across this like uh, pile up of all the orcs um and there's a few takes of um vigo Mortensen and aragorn just kicking a helmet and like screaming in pain and sort of and frustration. And the one that's ended up in the final film is one where he kicks this orc helmet and he kicks it hard enough that he breaks two of his toes. And the scream that he lets out is because he literally just broke his toes and that's left in the, in the final cut of the movie. That's, the, that's what you're watching. You're watching him break his toes. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> Which is amazing. And then it means that then when they go on to film, so I think later on they were filming this, the scenes where they're running across the plains, he's doing that with two broken toes. <laughs> because he's a yeah. fucking hard, because <laughs> he's harder than you, and he'll fucking have you. He's fucking Vigo. Fucking Vigo. Like all the stunt guys talking about, like Helm's team's like, if you're having a fight, you want to have a fight with Vigo because you know he'll give it. He'll give it some. And you want, <laughs> and that's what you want. Like all the stunt guys were just itching to have a fight with Vigo. I was like, I love this. This is great. This is exactly what it should be like. Um, yeah. And again, it just speaks to the, the authenticity of it. Like he's kicking, he's, it's not a plastic helmet that he's kicking and <laughs> breaking his toes. Someone's forged that out of iron. Do you know what I mean? Everything's built, been built yeah. for real. And like they had it, like when they talked about the, um, the battering ram, like they, they broke this giant battering ram, which was a fucking pain in the ass to get up to set because it was, because they didn't make it like out of plastic. Again, it's an actual battering ram. And then they built mm. they built the um, the door too well, so they couldn't like all these guys were just hammering at this door and the door wouldn't break because like whoever had built it built it too well and they were like right our set designers if we ever have to defend a castle, I'm bringing you guys in to build it <laughs> because clearly you've done you've built some sort of reinforced steel door that these guys can't like some of the biggest guys in New Zealand with a giant battering ram still can't knock it down because you built it too well. <laughs> so, that's amazing. That's so fucking good. brilliant. I love it. But yeah, I mean, I don't know what else to say, to be honest. Like, this is, 
it's very much the middle of a trilogy. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, like as much as I'd love to be able to say it does stand on its own two feet, I think it stands alone in its own way. I mm-hmm. think it stands on its own. It's not just the middle part. I think it's a fully functional and effective middle sequence to a vast trilogy that yeah. is arguably some of the greatest things that have been put on film. Yeah, true. I feel like by its nature, because it's the second one, it's meant that they had to do more playing around with the narrative on this one to make it that, to make yeah. it a cohesive a film with a beginning, a middle and end. They had to go, right, we're going to have to add this whole thing in with Faramir. We're going to have to move this over here. And the other thing, which uh, there's a whole storyline we haven't even touched on yet, which is Merry and Pippin and the Ents. Um, yeah. Which is a whole sequence where in, we don't necessarily need to talk about it all. I mean, the Ents are the Ents. Some people would winds them up it's i don't find it as annoying as the um the elves um because i think part of it is because in this they they use it as comic relief and they take the piss out of it which i like yeah i like they They have a bit of fun with it but also they go to show just how fucking devastating like nature is as a force which is exactly the point of the ends the whole point of the ends is that it's nature versus industrialism which is another sort of underlying theme from the books um yeah and that's something that you know tolkien didn't like the whole industrial revolution the way everything was getting you know mechanized and and all the rest of it and so they built out again this is something they laid the groundwork for it in fellowship of the ring by showing how saruman was like scouring the earth and like building these you know weapons of war and everything and then mm. you finally see it all come to a head at the end of two towers where treebeard and the ents see what he's done and attack Isengard and destroy it and again that's something that they put into the end of two towers to give it that climactic feel because otherwise it would have been Merry and Pippin telling the story after the fact in Return of the King um, which it is in the book I think yeah, that's what is, I mean, yeah. or it's done, it's done in flashback or it's, yeah, no, it's not in the book that's exactly I can't remember. the last time I read it it was oh, I was single digits in age but hmm. um, no that's exactly what it is it's just then telling the story afterwards um, whereas this, you get to see it, and it's you know epic in its own right. Again, some amazing miniature work going on, um, and you know, like again, you, and I hate it. It always makes me laugh. It shouldn't, but when they but they set the tree on fire, and then he puts himself out in the water. Yeah, <laughs> I, know, I shouldn't find it funny, but I do. It's just this tree it, right, yeah. like flailing around on fire, and he goes ah, 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 and puts his head. Down oh, my head. face! Oh, my face is on fire! It just reminds like it reminds me a little bit of like Home Alone, like Joe Pesci getting his head set on fire yeah. and just dumping it in the, in the snow. That's what it looks like to me. It's like it shouldn't. It should be really like that's a living thing that's been set on fire. I yeah, but it just looks funny. No, it is funny. It um, is good. Feel no shame. And yeah, and uh, Christopher Lee gets some great stuff in this one. He's completely cut out of the um, theatrical cut of Return of the King, um, but luckily they managed to get him back in in the extended cut, which is the version we'll be watching. Um, yeah, but he gets some great stuff in this. Again, some of the um, the rallying cries that he has, where he's sending um, everyone out to war, very evocative of you know Hitler and all these like masses of, yeah, trials. exactly. All these ma- this sort of cult of personality that he's built around himself. He also gets you know other men like the wild men who attack Rohan. He gets them to yeah. follow him, and that's kind of a little thing they hint at. Is like these are kind of a bit like the the wildlings from Game of Thrones a little bit, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, Game of Thrones owns, owes so much to of Lord of the Rings. Of course, it does. Yeah, absolutely. Like any modern fantasy does. Yeah. But um. But yeah, like the the sequence in this where 
uh, Grimmer, Worm Tongue, is um, saying about uh, is sort of debriefing uh, Saruman about Helm's Deep. Yeah. And he's like, oh, there's this one weakness, and there's this, and there's this, and there's that, and this. They do this, and we need this. Mm. And then he turns around. And he's like, you would need not 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 just hundreds, but thousands. Tens and, of thousands. Uh, he's like, what about tens? Thousand. <laughs> what about ten thousand? You're like, oh fuck. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that that'd probably do it. <laughs> it's just like it's like. A thousand orcs isn't cool. You know what's cool? Ten thousand orcs. <laughs> it's the, yeah. But just like, and like we haven't talked about Grima either. He's a weasley little shit. He's not a massive character. Yeah. Like Brad Dwarf, you like wanting to say Dorif. something? Dorif. Yeah, Brad Brad Dorif is um, for any horror fans out there is Chucky from Child's Play. Ah, uh, okay, right. In uh, only in the first six, I'm, I'm, I think only the first six, right? But yeah, so he's been in uh, he's been in a few other films here or there, but that's like his big his big thing is uh, Charles Play being Chucky. Yeah, and I'll so, get, he's completely unrecognisable in this as well. When you realise when you see him like interviewed and stuff, yeah, like they put a lot of makeup and he does a British accent the whole time. Yeah, and he's a proper sni- uh, sniveling Weasley little, and he's very very much a feels like a character lifted straight out of Shakespeare. Um, yeah, he's he sort of yeah. he's yeah he like the. Um, Honestly, he feels like a Harry Potter character at times as well. Yeah, right? he does. He could have been Snape. Yeah. Yeah. It's called Grim, Grim Old Worm Tongue. Yeah. Of all the things of giving the dog a bad name. Yeah. Yeah. And, it's just like, and um, yeah, and then of course, yeah, it's exactly Harry Potter because you even and you end up with Wormtail, which is and Wormtail in Harry Potter um is pretty much the exact same character. So they could talk about. Oh really? Being, Who's Wormtail? Wormtail is um fucking ah. Oh, Shit, really famous actor. Ah, shit, what's his name? He's the guy who bring. Who's like um, ah, Peter Pettigrew. Oh yeah, Tim Spool. Tim Spool, thank you. Yeah, Tim Spool. Um, but yeah, Worm Tongue, like, um, Worm Tail, they call him. Is like, uh, okay. I don't know if they ever use it in the films, but maybe in the books they call him that. And it's like, yeah, that's clearly she's got her inspiration for that. And that's again another example of just like Game of Thrones, everything can be traced back to um, Tolkien and Lord of the Rings to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, what else? Kind of ramps it up for me, I kind think. Kind of ramps it up. Yeah. Um, Music is amazing. Uh, we've talked about it a little bit. I mean, he, the Howard Shaw does the score for these yeah. movies. And I think when we get to sort of being able to sort of tip off up. all three of the ones, yeah, we need to, we need to sort of do a bit of a deep dive in here about the score, yeah, definitely. because of it's so anthemic now, yeah, yeah it's like, and it is one of those things that it's like you can hear one or two notes and be like, oh fuck, that's Lord of the Rings. You get stuck in your head, like I. I remember that there are certain times when, like, so I remember when I was um, when I was in college, I went and did this trip to India, and we did this like hike up into the mountains. And so for ten days, literally for like eight hours a day, I was just walking along these mount- like these hills, and all I heard every single day constantly was na 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 na. Like that on a loop continuously. Yeah. That's just like the setting in which I was in. That's just the first thing my head goes to. Um, and yeah, I mean, yeah, we'll talk about it another time. But it's just what's. I think, yeah, I think we need, I think it deserves like 
we need to give it a good few minutes when we sort of do the the double size special of the end of the rings franchise yeah absolutely um yeah so that's i think that's pretty much it for the two towers um two towers is great i mean i think that's something else we'll talk about next week is our favorites our rankings if you like of the of the three which is an interesting thing is they are very difficult to separate as you said because they are very much a a three-part story um Mm -hmm. so the most series of films i think um but we a lot of people do have their favorites and their least favorites so it'll be interesting to talk about um, if you do have any thoughts um, or things that you feel that we should have mentioned about Two Towers or any of the Lord of the Rings, please let us know. Um, you can get hold of us on Twitter and on Instagram and on Facebook. Just search for The Oncast and you'll find us. Um, or you can yeah. email us at theoncastpod at gmail.com. Let us know, is Legolas surfing on the um, shield cool or is it eye-rolling? That's a very it's important dumb. question. It's not dumb. We need to um, get to the bottom of this and we hope that you'll be able to engage with us on that. Um, yeah, it's the worst thing. It's not. You're wrong. So <laughs> on that <laughs> note, on that bombshell, um, we will have a um, bitter argument about this. Affair. <laughs> um, we, may, I'm, we may be back next week. Maybe possibly there'll be a different co-host. I can't, I can't comment on that. We'll have to see how this goes. Um, yeah. <laughs> but thanks for listening, guys. <laughs> and I will see you for Return of the King. Well, one of us will anyway, yeah. but we'll have to see which one. Well, I'll be yeah. I'll see you next time. Fuck you. Not you. Them. It's just the decrepit butler. Yes, master. It is. It's, it's um Archer's yeah. butler, isn't it? Is it? It's um Woodhouse. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, it's um, it's fucking, it's Alfred, but it's Alfred during Dark Knight Returns, where it's like, how the fuck are you still alive? You must be a hundred <laughs> years old. It doesn't make any sense. If if Batman's an old man and you're you were already an old man, how the fuck are you still alive? Explain yourself. <laughs> <laughs>